0: Welcome to another BTOG podcast. I'm Tom Newsom-Davis, medical oncologist at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, and we are recording this upstairs at the BTOG 2023 conference, and as ever, I'm joined by by Leanne, who's helping me out, and we're going to be discussing today the National Lung Cancer Audit, and the timing is very apposite because the report has just been released. Leanne?
1: Uh, So yeah, welcome to this podcast. Uh, So we've got Neil Navani with us, who's a a Senior Clinical Lead for the National Lung Cancer Uh Audit, and John Connibar, who is a uh, Clinical Lead for Oncology uh, for the uh, audit. Um, Both welcome. Thank you
2: very much for inviting us. Thank you.
1: So uh, just to start off, just for the listeners, um, could you just explain what the audit is?
2: Sure, so the National Lung Cancer Audit NLCA is essentially a a data collection process. So we harvest data on patients with lung cancer who've been diagnosed and managed within England and Wales. And we collect that data to be able to understand and assess the quality of care that's taking place within lung cancer services across England and Wales. And we use that data to um, essentially create a document which we share with the uh, public and our, with our clinician colleagues so that they can understand the quality of the service they're delivering so we can see where there's possibly failings, see where there's, um, see where there's high quality care being delivered and help us to shape the services that have been delivered by feeding back that information. And who, who actually collects the data, so
0: who's doing it on the ground?
3: Thanks, Tom. So uh, we're very fortunate where we've been supported very heavily by all of the providers in the country over the years. So um, the National Lung Cancer Audit has been in existence in various guises since 2005. Initially, data collection was fairly manual uh, and relied on uh, uh, colleagues at trusts, often MDT coordinators, perhaps uh, the respiratory physician or lung cancer lead to enter data directly. More recently, uh, over the last five years, uh, we've moved to an automated uh, data collection process. So this is where uh, data is entered into routine hospital systems, like hospital episode statistics or the systemic anti-cancer treatment data set. And that data flows centrally to the cancer registry. And we're able then to link a number of data sets together to provide a national lung cancer audit data set. So the data collection process previously was very much managed locally by trusts. But over the last few years, we've moved to a more automated uh, data collection uh, process, which we hope is uh, more robust and obviously more convenient for, for trusts as well
1: and the audit collects a huge amount of data and obviously it's been uh, published annually for some time what has it achieved you know uh, for us as a service providers and for patients do you think
3: that, thanks leanne so um, i think there've been a number of really important key changes to uh, lung cancer care that's been driven by by the national lung cancer audit so um, one of the initial Uh, uh, things that changed dramatically, firstly, was simply the quality of the data and the ascertainment of cases. So we've gone from seeing approximately 80% of predicted cases to now routinely we're getting a data set where we're very confident we have every single lung cancer patient. One of the other key clinical changes, perhaps, would be the surgical resection rate. So if we look at that approximately 10 years ago, we're looking at around 15%. And In 2019, uh, it rose significantly up to uh, 19%.
2: Um,
3: And um, uh, that has had a transformational effect on management of early stage lung cancer and has resulted in um, an increase in the thoracic surgical uh, workforce uh, as well. We've also been able to report Uh, the proportion of patients being seen by a lung cancer uh, nurse specialist. And um, that's hit, um, uh, uh, we're aiming for a target of around 90%. And we're really pleased to see in the latest report that that's been uh, reported now at at over 90% of patients having access to a lung cancer nurse specialist. And we feel that providing this data back to trusts enables them to make uh, important data-driven changes to their service uh, which overall will improve um, lung cancer care.
0: What about um, you say it's automated, question for you John, it's automated but still bad data in is bad data out, good data in is good data out so there is still an onus on individual trust making sure that your data is good so if you're using Somerset or Infoflex there's still a requirement that the lead of that lung cancer service make sure that those fields are filled out correctly is that right I mean someone's got to put in form status someone's got to put in stage so we do need to make sure colleagues are reviewing their data Is, is is that what we should be doing that's what I do every about every month we go through our Somerset data and make sure it it looks about right is that what we should still be doing
2: so I think, um, I think Tom, that the National Lung Cancer Audit is only as good as the data it's able to obtain. And you're absolutely right. The quality of data which we obtain is entirely dependent, really, on the entry by individuals involved in those patients' care. And so one of the things we're able to do through the data analysis is look at data completeness, for instance, performance status, smoking status, um, and as Neil has alluded to, you know, being able to report on the number of patients who've been seen by a CNS does require that box to be filled in uh, consistently by the teams and the the clinical leads within each res- respective centre. Yeah. What I might say to
0: people listening is that if you don't know what fields are mandatory, you can see it on the NLCA website. It will tell you what you should be mandatory
3: reporting. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. And just to add to that, I think actually we should be really proud of the data that we've had for the lung cancer audit. We, compared to other cancers, have a phenomenal uh, data set. Our data completeness for many of our key metrics Um, for example, staging, uh, is around the 90% mark, which when we compare that to many of the other cancers is superb. And then coming back to the point about local data collection, I think you're absolutely right. We need data champions in every single uh, MDT to support this process and to understand the importance of of data collection for our patients. And in, in previous audit reports, we've consistently recommended that every MDT should have a data quality lead who really has that responsibility for for providing good quality data from their MDT and for that responsibility to be recognised in their job plan.
0: And that could be a doctor, that could be a nurse, that could be MDT coordinator, that could be anyone who is interested in making sure data is watertight. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Just another question, you mentioned about um, how this has driven improvements in in care in uh, lung cancer compared to perhaps other uh, cancers uh, uh, in the UK. Do you also think that the data uh, that we collect in the audit has helped us to compare ourselves to other nations? Uh, You know, I I get the impression that other countries don't necessarily have such a huge data, aren't able able to collect this kind of data uh, uh, nationally to, to assess, yeah.
3: Um, yeah, I think the, the issue of international comparisons has always been a little bit tricky. There, there was a very influential paper, you may recall, uh, that compared lung cancer services from England and Italy, published in Thorax um, a long time ago, um, and um, we came off pretty badly in that. I think what we always have to remember for our data set is that it is comprehensive. So we include all patients, regardless of performance status, regardless of whether they've had tissue taken uh, or not and that is not always the case for for other data sets. Now that perhaps is going to change. We've been working closely with uh, colleagues in Australia and have recently won a major grant in Australia to start a mirror image of the National Cancer Audit in Australia. So I'm hoping that going forward we'll really be able to compare um, uh, data a little bit more accurately to our Uh, international colleagues. That's not in any way to um, minimise the very clear differences in outcomes that appear to exist for patients diagnosed in England and Wales compared to our European counterparts. I don't think that is something that we should accept. And I think engaging with the National Lung Cancer Audit and improving our services is going to be a real key part of improving our lung cancer outcomes to match our uh, European colleagues. Okay, so that's about background. John, the
0: exciting bit is the data. Uh Tomorrow, which is going to be Friday, the last day at Talk, and you're presenting the data, we're going to have a sneak preview here um of it, and it's a really important part of what we learn about our servers. What to you are one or two of the highlights of what this year's audit has produced? And can you just remind me, it's a 2023 audit, but the data itself is from, from which year? 2021. 2021, Okay. Um, what, what do you reckon the highlights
2: for you? So when I joined the audit as your oncology lead, we were um, in a pre-COVID pandemic era and clearly the trajectory of the data points we collect and report was a positive one. So we were seeing steady increments in the, the different metrics we reported on. And obviously the arrival of the COVID pandemic revealed in the report we published during that period that those metrics, the number of patients treated, number of patients diagnosed, unfortunately fell. And I, I think the first thing to say is it's reassuring to see that although we haven't um, exceeded 2019, we do seem to have bounced back, which is very encouraging for lung cancer patients and services in England. It's so bounce back in numbers, although Also in treatment rates? So in treatment rates, in terms of patients diagnosed. So it does seem as though from the data that the pandemic's effects on services has now um, become more minimised. And in fact, if I remember correctly, one other effect
0: of COVID was in last year's report. We didn't have trust level data for a number of different reasons, but this year we do have trust level data. So individual hospitals can look at how they are performing compared to the national average, regional average, if I'm right.
3: That's absolutely correct, Tom. So uh, in the previous report, we all the results were published at Alliance level, but in the current report that's just been launched, um, we've got a brand new data viewer and everybody is able to download that from the lung cancer audit website and interrogate their own um, data so they're able to cut and slice it as they wish by stage, by performance stage. and this
0: is a Excel spreadsheet. Correct. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. That we hope is uh, it's been tested, and we hope is uh, uh, user friendly for for everyone. Uh,
1: so during COVID, we saw emergency presentations increasing, but the data um, from the audit still seems to suggest that emergency presentations are still quite high and at kind of levels seen pre-COVID. Um, uh, do you think that? Um, there's anything we can do to improve on that? Or and is, have there been any effects from screening at all?
2: So Liam, yeah, I think you picked up an interesting point. So pre-COVID, the presentation through AE was approximately 30% for patients. During the COVID pandemic, we saw that rise as one may expect to 35%. Um, and you're quite right, the latest data suggests no fall yet, so it's still at 35%. I think the reasons for that Probably complex. I think that um, we're still recovering from the impact of COVID on uh healthcare services. I think that COVID led to a to a group of patients who were advised to stay at home and not to present with symptoms. And I wonder whether we're still seeing those patients now coming out from behind closed doors with um, significant symptoms from underlying disease and hence they're coming through the doors of our A&E departments.
1: You think perhaps they're those kind of lost patients, you know we did see less diagnoses didn't we in the kind of Covid year and and, and do you think perhaps those are the patients that we're kind of still seeing as the emergency presentations?
2: I think that um, the patients who I'm beginning uh, to see more of in clinic are ones who have more advanced disease than I did pre-Covid I think you're right. I think there's been a delaying factor for the patients during the last two years.
1: Um, Neil, uh, from your point of view, what do you think are some of the highlights from this uh, year's report?
3: So I share some of uh, John's um, positivity about some of the findings. So we know that the active treatment rates have recovered post-Covid. They took an enormous drop, uh, almost took us back seven or eight years sadly. Uh, but we've recovered, not quite back to where we were in 2019, but that's, that's, a, that's a real positive. Um, I still think, however, there are certain metrics that we report where we perform as a nation not as well as we should. Let me give you an example. So we know the importance of systemic anti-cancer treatment for patients with advanced disease. We have year on year reported the proportion of patients with advanced disease and good performance status, so performance status zero or one, stage three B to four B, who receive anti-systemic treatment, and we've set a bar of around 65%, perhaps in my view lower than lower than it should yeah, be, but in uh, 2021 20, uh, that figure was still only 61%. Now that's much better than in 2020 when we were. Uh, dealing with COVID, when it was down at 55%. So that's a but big improvement. It's still low.
0: I mean, that's much lower than I would have thought. Although we have to bear in mind that does include, does this be a zero one? These are people Correct. who have a good, good nick. Yes, very low rate.
3: It is low. And I think one of the issues here is, you may say, actually, is the data accurate? We've reported it year on year, the same figures. And what is obvious is that some trusts have very high treatment rates. Uh, but some trusts have much lower treatment rates, and you know, with all the advances in systemic therapies that we now have, surely this is needs to be uh, addressed at a at a national level as well, where we start diving in a little bit deeper into some of the uh, some of the metrics. That's, I think, an still an important finding. the The curative treatment rates, so the, for patients with earlier stage disease, I think we're doing well. I think that's up at around eighty percent. Um, and I think that may reflect the increased use of targeted lung health checks, other screening programmes and, you know, a real drive uh, for early detection and more uh, treatment for early stage patients. But I still think there's a lot of work to be done uh, for our patients with, uh, with advanced disease.
1: Is there a way within the audit we could try and capture, you know, that kind of missing 20% in the curative uh, uh, rate for uh, intent, kind of group, for example, of trying to capture why that 20% aren't having that treatment, you know, uh, perhaps with looking at whether it's patient choice or comorbidities. Uh, it's a lot of data to try and capture. Yeah, we did this
3: a few years yeah. ago uh, with um, a specific spotlight audit on curative intent uh, treatment. So we exactly asked that question. Um, we provided data back two trusts of patients who met the, exactly that, that criteria. So early stage disease, good performance status, who didn't appear, according to us, have treatment with uh, curative intent. And we specifically asked people um, with drop-down menus and um, uh, options to say why that's the case. Now, about half was patient choice, but the other half was complexities around comorbidities that are pretty difficult to capture, uh, in national data sets. Um, and I think that is perhaps an
2: area that we we uh, could be looking at uh, uh, going forward. I think it's also an opportunity, so the listeners um, listen to us now, going back to Neil's point earlier about trust level data, I think it really is an opportunity for trusts to reflect on the service and the delivery of their SACT to those patients. So drilling down within your own trust to understand where you sit against that average. And if you are low, it's it's then about questioning why that is, isn't it? I, I,
0: was, I was going to ask that question because if someone's looking at, if one of my oncology colleagues is looking at the systemic anti-cancer treatment rates for PS01 patients and they say, I'm definitely giving more than 50%, I guess the first thing they should do is look at your own data. Are you inputting it? Because I've certainly found in my hospital, I, you know, I know that this patient has had chemotherapy, I then look on Somerset, which happens to be the database we use, and there's nothing. Or it says palliative care, because in the MDT, we weren't very clear. Our MDT coordinator, with the best intention, put the wrong thing in. So first thing I guess is check your data. Neil, any other suggestions?
3: So just on that data point, Tom, the, um, there are robust checks of that. So even if it's not in the Somerset data set, it's a mandatory entry into SACT. Mm so the National uh, Systemic anti-cancer Treatment Dataset, and that is automatically fed directly into the National Lung Cancer Audit. So when trusts have asked for this data, we've actually found the treatment rates to be fairly robust because they are uh, linked from a number of different sources. So if it doesn't come via the MDT route, yeah. via Somerset, InfoFlex, DERSA Epic, um, Aepic, <laughs> then um, uh, there's still that... Uh, ability to link yeah. other data sets where we will then still always, I hope, capture the data.
0: And just to explain to people who may not know um, all the chemotherapy prescribing, systemic anti-cancer treatment prescribing in the UK's electronic and that is all centrally accessed and that's where the SACT systemic anti-cancer therapy dataset comes from
1: and then you touched briefly on uh, some of the the kind of recent changes what, what kind of changes have happened uh, to this year's data we mentioned about the trust level data being available are there any additional uh, uh, data this year that we've collected that we haven't done in years before what changes have uh, kind of well, been year to year one, here and here one
3: of the things uh, leanne we tried to highlight in the audit as well uh, is about smoking status Um, So we've not previously um, tried to analyse smoking data and the main reason for that has been the lack of uh, complete data. So one of the uh, things we really wanted to highlight is just the importance of, of trying to get that data to us. Now one of the issues with that particular field is that there are no other sources for that field currently other than the MDT input. So whilst we've talked about Systemic treatment, radiotherapy, surgery, they all come from other sources, okay. like um, other sources of data that we can uh, check. Whereas performance status as well, but smoking status has to come from the from MDT. The MDT. So and so we really encourage people to, to, to fill that in. Never smoking lung cancer is such an important topic, isn't it? And it, it seems wrong that we're not able to answer that question, but currently our data completeness is around 49%. Um, and that's not enough for us to, to really able uh, to identify uh, um, robustly people who have never it's spent. definitely in, in
0: our data set from
3: our hospital it's, it's
0: the lowest because it's just not on my radar or something I should be filling out it must be better um, John, one, one thing that I know comes along with the report is a, because I get emailed by our audit department a kind of series of New metrics, new recommendations. That right, um, based on the outcome of the audit of things, we should be trying to implement to improve our service. H- how does that work, and what should people be doing if they haven't had that that um, Excel document sent through to them?
2: So, yeah. there is a uh, contact details for the National Lung Cancer Audit from the website, so you can contact us to yeah. to seek that out. Um, In terms of setting those goals, so as a National Lung Cancer Audit Team, uh, before the report's released, we sit down and we look at the metrics which we think are important and we discuss those with um, NHSE and other bodies um, to make sure that there's agreement Mm. about the targets which we want to set and try and reach. And I must say, having looked at them, they're not very onerous.
0: And I find them very helpful because it allows me to go back to my MDTs and say this is what we need to do and I've now got backup, I've got a national requirement to do that and when I'm trying to implement a change and improvement, having that recommendation from the central body I think is incredibly helpful. Good thing.
1: And then uh, what about the future? You touched on adding the smoking status uh, to the audit. Are there any plans in the future? Uh, for different data entry? I think you mentioned earlier about potentially including bio, the newer biomarkers. Yeah.
2: So I think there's a few opportunities, so clearly in terms of systemic anti-cancer therapy, um, in terms of the metric we discussed earlier, only 60% of FIT stage 3C and four patients receiving anti-cancer therapy. What we don't understand at the moment and which we have an opportunity to develop is to implement and input data on molecular results on these patients and so one of the uh, fundamental um, projects that we have moving forward is to collect that data because it's now readily available and to actually report on that within the framework of the National Lung Cancer Audit.
3: One of the other things uh, for the very near future for the audit is more rapid reporting, so um, we have traditionally Uh, reported data that's often two years out of date and you know that's part of the problem with data flows analysis approvals etc I think it's much more meaningful if it's far more contemporaneous so we're going to move for certain metrics um, to quarterly reporting at trust level I'm hoping that we're going to be able to produce a dashboard for each trust uh, that we can uh, feed back uh, quarterly, so that people can make uh, changes in a far more real time. Uh, but presumably, that
1: should be relatively straightforward with some of the more automated data collection, other the cancer treatments. Yeah,
3: but I think it also highlights this yeah. uh, something we touched on earlier about regular review of your data. In in uh, previous iterations of the mm-hmm. audit, it was perfectly fine to sit down at the end of the year and go through your. Data all Together in uh, in one group for your 12 months, but now it's important that there's a regular process in place. I think.
0: Do, do you have a cut off on that? I mean, should it should be within because it can be difficult. If the patient comes into your MDT; they're going to go down a diagnostic pathway. You don't yet, particularly. I don't know if sort of someone having surgery. It may be several weeks we actually have it. Do, is there a cut off when we should make sure it's in?
3: Uh, so um, there isn't a cut off. We, it's always better to get the. The data in as soon as you can. Um, for the more rapid dashboards that we're hoping to produce, we're looking potentially at around four months, uh, so reporting on um, patients that were diagnosed uh, four months earlier.
2: And what's going to happen, people are going to be at
3: home and they're going to say,
0: I cannot believe I don't know the National Cancer Council audit data. I can't believe I don't know what my trust is doing. In the highly unlikely event they're not knowing, where do they go? How do they get hold of it? Can anyone do this? Do you have to have a login? Do you have to be the lead? Or can you just, as long as it's your hospital, can you download the information?
2: So, no, it's readily accessible. So all you have to do is get in front of the computer. If you Google for National Lung Cancer State of the Nation Report 2023, you'll find it comes up readily in the top of the search. If you go to lungcanceraudit.org.uk, you'll find the report there, which is our new website um, which houses it. There's also contact links available there, so if you need to reach out about any of the things we've discussed this afternoon, um, there's an opportunity to link into the team and fire off questions
0: to us. Yeah, it was obviously a full discussion for me, I knew the answer, because you can do that and you can download your trust-level data. And it's very revealing, because it. it I'm always surprised by it, I always think... Yeah, there's, there's always something you think you did better than you did, and there's some things you've done surprisingly well on. so...
1: And we all know everyone enjoys uh, comparing themselves. Yes, to their it's, it's absolutely the element of uh, <laughs> a, a competition. I uh, yes. I think it's only human but that drives uh, some of our, uh, our our improvements. It's
0: fortunate so my hospital's the best in the country, so that works very
1: well. You should check your data.
0: Um, I think that about wraps it up. Um, Thank you very much to Neil and for John for joining us. Thank you very much for everyone listening. Um, And yes, if you want to go and download your copy of the NLCA, you know how to do so. You will also be able to see, I think, a recording of Neil's presentation at BTOG on the BTOG website once all the uh, sessions from this year's meeting are um, released. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information on BTOG, including educational events and how to join, of course, you can visit www.btog.org. Just to remind you, we would love to hear your comments, thoughts, questions about things we discussed. And for the really interesting ones, we'll even discuss them in our next uh, podcast. You can contact us on info at or on Twitter at btog.org. Thank you very much.